Good morning, everybody. Uh, why don't you turn that Bible to Matthew uh, chapter 2, and uh, we're just going to continue in. Today is the second to last of the messages off of this series called uh, Let Us Adore Him, and I'm thrilled about where we've been going so far, and I'm thrilled about uh, Christmas Eve together will be the final message in the series, and I did already record the one um, for next Sunday, so please, if you're gone or if you're with extended family at their church, which is incredible for Christmas Eve, don't miss next Sunday via video because it's a tone setter, I believe, for the year, and it's going to launch us, so when we're together in January, I'm going to pick up on where I left off on the video, so please do that. Well, let's pray, and we'll, uh, we'll jump right into Matthew 2. Lord, thank you for another day. Thank you for the privilege of this place. Even the white drapes, it's just like glory. Uh, we're, we're thinking about you, Jesus, all year long, but especially now. This week, we, we seem to feel the closeness of what it means for you to step out of your space, which we don't even understand because you're holy and fully holy, and we're not. But you leave to be here with us. And Lord, we're still amazed by that and we're still confused by that. But help us connect the dots, God, so that we will live closer to your heart and we'll live in your ways and we'll follow your teaching and we'll invite everyone that we can to come and join the family that belongs to Jesus. Lord, help us to do that in your name. Everybody said, uh, amen. So we're just a couple days, four, six Please invite as many people as you can. I say it, but it's totally true. The most likely time for someone who's not generally a churchgoer is Christmas because you have the day off and you're given the gifts and you're having a meal. So uh, it will be one hour exactly, mostly music, with the culmination of everything we've been learning in a short message, which brings us home to the heart of Christmas. So please invite everyone. All right, here we go. Uh, Matthew is where we've been. If you've missed the series, we've been looking at Advent with detail. And I hope it's been helpful to connect some of the dots. Uh, Mark doesn't really tell us anything about Jesus' birth. John uh, skips it, other than says he's the son of God. But Matthew and Luke give us some of the detail of the Advent, which means the coming, the arrival, the special arrival of Jesus. And we've looked at Matthew to find out why is he doing what is he do, uh, what he's doing? What is the birth about? And it starts in Matthew 1, 1. He sets the tone for the entire gospel that he writes. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so Matthew skips some things and adds some things because he's, he's going to tell us what it means to follow Jesus. And what he does in Matthew 1.1, he's going to do in Matthew 28. It's, it's not just like Christmas and then throw that away for the rest of the year. And then the teaching of Jesus and then put that aside. And then Easter, the death of Jesus. No, it's one long tale. And in that true story of Jesus, chapter 1 and chapter 28 connect. And we're going to look at that in two days. What in the world is the birth or the announcement of Jesus about? It's about the end, where Matthew leaves us at the end of his gospel is the point of him writing the beginning, which I never saw the connection. But we see this in, in, in Greek. This is book Genesis, Jesus Christ of David, of Abraham. We saw a couple weeks ago 
that what Matthew is saying, and the reason it's placed, I think, first in the four Gospels, is there's a new Genesis, just like the book of Genesis gives us the origin of the human race and the origin of mankind and the origin of evil and the origin of suffering. So we see a new origin. Jesus is going to make things new, but not like we expect. So why all the names on the list? Because he wants us to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of what God was doing in David, the greatest king, and Abraham, who's the father of faith. And in every generation, what he wants us to see is God is faithful to bring about his absolute rescue. People aren't faithful. David isn't faithful. Abraham isn't faithful fully. But God is fully faithful to use messed up people and messed up times, and he's going to bring about our salvation. So after that, we saw the, gene, the, the genealogy. And then the story of, of Joseph and Mary, which is really weird because it starts with a scandal, if you think about it. Uh, Jesus has the most humble beginning, the place of his birth and the way it's born because they're engaged, but then she's pregnant and he's embarrassed, but he does the right thing. He doesn't want to embarrass her, so he's going he's gonna to divorce her. This is a messed up family situation, and God speaks through the angel. To Mary, we learn about in Luke, and to Joseph, we learn about in Matthew. And God's word to Joseph is, take him in and give him this Name, the name Jesus. Don't divorce her. This is of God. And so we're connecting the points because David has a humble beginning too. We saw that a few weeks ago. David's story is the youngest kid from a no-name tribe who God is going to raise up as the king. And so what happened in David, the glimpses of God's movement in David are pointers towards what's going to happen in Jesus. So Jesus is of David, and like he had a humble beginning, Jesus has a humble beginning, and so Christmas is starting to make sense. Jesus is the greater than David leader king. And so the dots are being connected. Jesus, by the way, is born in Bethlehem, which is the city of David. And then Jesus is born, and people try to kill him, just like when David is announced to be king and anointed by the prophet, the current king, Saul, tries to kill David, Jesus has to flee. David has to flee. These are not accidents. Matthew's not making this up. He's reading his Bible in light of Jesus. The story of King David points us to Jesus, which is where we find ourselves the last bit of the Christmas narrative. Super helpful. Chapter 2 of Matthew, starting in verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, and he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, and, uh, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so what was fulfilled, what the Lord had said through the prophet, and then quote from an ancient prophecy in Hosea, out of Egypt I called my Son, what do we learn here? What I want to see is some more markers we've seen in the life's, the lifeline of Jesus, the pattern of David. Well, now we're going to see there are these quotes. This was to fulfill. This was to fulfill. This was to fulfill. What is he talking about here? At least a couple of things. Write them down. The Exodus from Egypt points us to Jesus. Now we're not Jewish, most of us. 
were not fluent in the Bible the way the early listeners or readers would have been fluent in the Bible. But the exodus of Jesus out into Egypt and then out of Egypt points us to Jesus. Where, where is Egypt in terms of geography? It's about 80 miles from Bethlehem and is an absolutely treacherous journey. So Jesus, a, a young child, has to leave and he takes refuge. Why Egypt? Well, at the time, practical, Herod, the, uh, the king, Herod, uh, Egypt wasn't in his jurisdiction. And so you would be safe. Uh, and, and it was a homeland for many refugees who are Jewish in background. They're, they say from history, about a million Jews were in Alexandria in Egypt at the time of Jesus. So he's, Joseph is led by God to a place where there's lots of like-minded people and the government can't uh, come in and take the child. So this makes sense, but this is not what Matthew's doing. Matthew's doing more than simply saying God is faithful to keep his son safe and get him out of Herod's way. That's part of it. But Matthew could have just said he went to Egypt, he was safe, and then when Herod died, he came back. No, he makes a connection. Did you notice? He quotes, and in the side of your Bible, if you have like a Bible with references, it will give you the reference to where this comes from. Hosea 11, 1. And what's this quote? A son being called out of Egypt. That's actually the key. You see, Hosea prophesies to Israel centuries before Jesus about their exile. You see, God's people, because of their sin and rebellion, they were sent away. And Hosea says to them, who are apart from the homeland, apart from the temple, apart from the presence of God, don't worry, God is faithful. How do I know it? The Exodus. If you remember back in the story in Exodus, God's people are in Egypt and they are slaves to evil Pharaoh and God in his faithfulness sends a deliverer whose name is Moses. And Moses does not deliver them. God delivers them through Moses. And so Moses is a key to God being God for them. And so all that Matthew does is pulls on what the prophet said about what God had did and what God did, he does. And what he does, he will do. And he connects the dots. God was faithful to ancient Israel and pulled them out and brought them to the land. And now they're in a mess centuries later. And now through Hosea, don't worry, be of good cheer. God is for us. And he says to them, you are in exile now, but God will bring you back. And so he sees, Matthew sees in Jesus the pattern of God's people, he's sent out of the land and into Egypt, but out of Egypt will come rescue. Isn't this cool? I mean, some of us don't think about the dots being connected. Now, this is more about uh, Jesus is being spared. It's about a new exodus. And what we're going to see all across Matthew, we're going to look at Matthew, the teaching of Jesus in Matthew, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and you're going to realize that Jesus is sharing what God had already done and says how he's going to do it again. Jesus' teaching is, is the clearest understanding of what God has ever said. And so Jesus doesn't start with something new. Jesus takes what God said and said, you have heard it said, now I tell you. So what we see in the birth is going to happen in Jesus' teaching. And what we see in Jesus' death as we move our way towards Easter is the same thing. These aren't new things. God speaks, and then he speaks again, and he speaks again. 
And if we're listening, we'll hear there is a new exodus coming in Jesus. Now, what other connection points do we see in the Old Testament? Because Matthew's just connecting the dots. We'll keep reading. Look at verse uh, 16. It says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, I've read this or heard this since I was a kid. I was like, great, what in the world does that have to do with anything? What in the, where is this weird quote about Rama? And what's Jeremiah talking about, Rachel weeping? What in the world does this have to do with Jesus? Is Matthew just making things up? No, write this down. Prophecies of sadness and hope points us to Jesus. These prophecies that we see about sadness and suffering and hope, they point us to Jesus, just like the exodus of Israel points us to Jesus. So God directs Joseph, take the child out, but then God directs Joseph later on, we're going to see, to bring the child back. So Matthew quotes from Jeremiah. Now what, what's going on here? Herod, Herod, we saw, is an evil king and he he kills three of his boys. He kills his wife. He kills some of his closest aides as he, as he gets older because he's paranoid about someone taking over. So there's the layer of, of Herod, the king's paranoia, but there's actually something bigger going on. There's a voice that's heard in Ramah. Now, when, when the children are killed in Bethlehem, if you think of movies or you think of your own imagination, you think of a slaughter of thousands. Well, Bethlehem uh, is a small place, so we're looking at probably 15, maybe 30 children who are two years old or under being murdered, which is horrible. But it's not, in my brain, it's like hundreds and thousands and rivers of blood. It's, but Harry can get away with that because it's a, it's a nothing town. He can get away with the killing of these random children from random homes, this horrible murder but there's an echo to what had already happened. And this is unjust. This is horrible. This is evil. But evil had happened to God's people before. And he's looking back. Uh, Jeremiah 31 is the reference. I encourage you today, if you would, read all of Jeremiah 31. The dots will start to be connected in your brain. Well, what he says here, the quote from here, is there's a voice, right, of weeping and mourning. Rama's a, a real place. It's a town about five miles north of Jerusalem. And when Israel was taken captive by the Babylonians, you could see, because Jerusalem sits up on a hill, they could see in Ramah the city going up in flames. So there was weeping because they knew God's temple was being ransacked. But also Ramah's on the way to them taking God's people out of the land of Babylon. So Ramah is a place where you go from hope to suffering. Rama's a place where you mourn because you're saying, God, have you, ever, have you ever been in that spot where you're like, God, where in the world are you? I know you're connecting the dots of human history, but like my story's messed up. And maybe you're too busy for me, or maybe you're unkind and you won't let me in on what you're doing. But we're in those places. We're in that place of sadness and of mourning. But you got to keep reading Jeremiah. I'll give you the, the verses right after the quote because this helps. This is what the Lord says, Jeremiah 31, 16. This is what the Lord says, 
restrain your voice from weeping. Now, he just told us weeping's happening, right? We, the quote he gives us in Matthew is about weeping, mourning. But he says, no, this is what God says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. Now, I, I know some of this might be confusing. You may want to listen to this podcast with your Bible open again and, and, and connect the dots, right? What has happened is Jesus has just been sent away, which is horrible. Herod is killing young boys in Bethlehem, which is horrible. But in that moment of horror, you have to remember that God speaks about suffering and hope. And, and before they even go out and live for a season in suffering, God says there's going to be weeping and Rachel's going to be mourning. This is horrible. This is unjust, but God's faithful. And God says to the people, you hold on. Your descendants will return to the land. You keep reading on in Jeremiah 31, and God says, oh, I've got something even bigger than you coming back to the land. I'm going to establish a new agreement with my people, and I'm going to write the law of God on your hearts, and no one's going to have to teach someone else saying, this is the word of the Lord, that's the word of the Lord, for you will all know the word of the Lord. I'm going to write it on the heart. God's going to do something new. It's no accident that Matthew quotes from Jeremiah 31. By the time of Jesus, Jeremiah 31 is like lightning rod. Ding, 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 ding. When Messiah comes, this new hope will be born. And so people are longing and waiting. So Jeremiah simply connects the dots. The prophecies about suffering and pain and hope, what are they there for? They're there to point us to Jesus. Okay, so as Herod is doing his evil, God is doing his beautiful work. And so the arrival of Jesus marks the arrival of comfort. So he goes out into Egypt, but then he comes back. Look at verse uh, six, uh, 19. Not only does Jesus escape, not only is he safe while he's in exile in Egypt, but look at what happens next. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life, they're dead. So he got up and he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. But when they heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So what do we see so far? The exodus of Israel was pointing to the exodus of Jesus. The pain and suffering of Israel was pointing to what was going to happen at the time of the coming of hope that's in Jesus in Jeremiah 31. He's going to do a new work. It's going to be a new agreement. There's going to be a new way of relating to God. And all these things are pointing to Jesus. Now, Nazareth points us to Jesus. And that's what we're supposed to see. From Egypt, it's interesting, why all the geography? For us, geography is like a sidebar. How many of you have a map in the back of your Bible that you never look at? <laughs> like, I have maps in the back, like, oh, they're cute, skip. 
Because geography to us doesn't have significance. What we don't realize is geography is like the highlighter pen in the Bible for the ancient Hebrews. Geography always matters. Towns, names, places, history have such deep and rich meaning. We just don't see it yet. It's not that we're bad. It's just that we have to lean in harder 2,000 years later to hear exactly what Matthew's trying to say. We have to lean in. What in the world's going on with Nazareth? Well, he comes to go to the south because the temple's in the south in Jerusalem, but he hears Archelaus is the leader there. So he's like, ooh, he's probably as bad as his dad. Let me go up north to a place called Galilee. All of these things are just words that mean nothing right now. What I want us to see is this is hugely significant. Jesus is going to be known as a Nazarene. Here's the weird one. If you have a reference Bible like I do, and it tells you where the quotes are from, you're going to notice no quote, Jesus will be a Nazarene. There's no quote because there's no specific prophecy about Jesus coming from Nazareth. What in the world's going on here? There isn't, but notice verse 23 again. So what was Phil, what was said through thee, and then look at the next word, prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Matthew says the prophets, the writings, the big picture are pointing to Jesus being identified from a specific place called Nazareth. In other words, when I think about prophecy, all I think about is specific quote, specific prediction, right? This is going to happen. Town in Bethlehem, he'll be born. Guess what? Jesus, born in Bethlehem, check the box. And if you've ever studied something called apologetics, it's this listing out sometimes when you look at Jesus of Jesus fulfilled X amount of prophecies, specific predictions about his life, about this, about that. And yes, that's part of prophecy. But that's only one part of prophecy. It's only one. So Matthew sees everything that's happening in Israel's story as prophetic, as God speaking. Give you the example. The out of Egypt I'll call my son. Well, that's not necessarily a prophecy about the Messiah coming. No, 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 no. It's about out of this place of suffering, God is going to bring about deliverance, saving. Now, it happened in real history. Moses was used by God, but it's going to happen again. There's going to be a new exodus. So Matthew sees all of the Bible as leading us up to Jesus. Now, where does he get this idea from? Scholars have lots of ideas. When you read the Bible, though, I think the clearest is Isaiah 11.1. Write it down, but because of time, I'm going to put it on the screen for you. This is an interesting one. Isaiah 11.1 says, and you're not going to see the word Nazarene, but I think this is the connection. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. The visual is a tree that's been cut down. From its roots, a branch will bear fruits. You have a a tree that's been cut down, but something new that's going to be fruit-bearing comes up. The visual metaphor is Jesse is the father of David, and the kingdom had fallen. There is no Jewish king. But Isaiah prophesies that God says, from the line of Jesse, 
A new kingdom is going to come out of it. That's the visual. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So you say, Jose, that's about Nazareth. Squeeze me. Um, I come out of a tough, tough time here. Uh, where's the Nazareth part? Well, we're getting it in English. Do you notice from his roots, a branch, capital B? Did you notice that? Um, the word branch and the word Nazarene in, in Hebrew, you only have consonants as letters and the vowels are all squiggly lines and dots. And, and so the, the letters, the consonant letters for Nazareth are the same consonant letters for branch. I want you to just catch this. As Matthew, by the Holy Spirit of God, is reading his Bible, there's this prophecy about a branch town. The branch of David. From what God had been doing in his kingdom, he's going to revive the, the kingdom again. And from David, a David-like king is going to come up. And so in that sense, in that broad sense, Matthew's able to connect the dots. They have the same, they, the, the words look identical. So much so by the time of Jesus, Nazareth is known as Branchtown. And there are people who are looking for God to deliver his people and realize, wow, it's this, this kind of place. A David, a king kind of place that God's gonna bring deliverance. And oh my goodness, the king, Jesus, where is he raised? In Nazareth. Now, that would be one little nuance, but let me give you another layer. It said that, that Joseph led him north to the place called Galilee. Now, most of Jesus' ministry happens in the north in Galilee. And again, this is a lot to cover two days before Christmas. I get it. There's shopping to be done. But I want us to see the beautiful thing. Christmas isn't random. The birth of Jesus isn't random. It's what God had been doing since the beginning. Galilee, because of its history, which I don't have time to get into, is seen as a place far from God. There were two parts of Israel by this time. There were one united kingdom under David and Solomon, but then after that, this kingdom was divided in two and never really came back together. And Galilee sits in the north. The temple sits in the south. That's all you need to know for now. The place of God's presence is in the south, but Jesus is raised in the north, seemingly a place that's far from God. It's why, if you read John's gospel, and Nathaniel first hears in John 1 about Jesus from Nazareth, and what's, John's, what's Nathaniel's line? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's not talking about the hood. He's not talking about like, oh, it's this, this terrible neighborhood. It's, it's in Galilee. God's presence is here in the south. That's the place of God's scattering. That cannot be where God's deliverance comes from. That's not where God's blessing comes from. But if Matthew, simply in reading the Bible, realizes this isn't the first time this has happened, do you know that David, the king, when he was anointed by God, had to flee into the foreign lands before he rose to be king. There was a season where, where David had to flee from evil and then he came back and he became God's rightful king. Matthew connects the dots. Jesus 
is the branch. And although the branch seems to be outside of God's presence, David came from a foreign land. He spent some time in the Philistine country. He ran from King Saul, but at the right time, he was ushered king. And, and what Matthew can do is in reading his Bible, he realizes these prophecies of destruction and hope, they point, they point us to Jesus. And what God was doing in David on him coming from a humble place and being sent off, but then coming back, that's the same, mind you, Matthew's writing after Jesus has risen from the grave. He didn't get this early on. But by the time at the end of Jesus' life, Matthew, who learns from Jesus himself, is able to see everything that God had been saying, everything that had happened to Israel is now happening in Jesus. So, okay, I got a branch, I got a... I got woe to Rachel. I've got, I've got Rama. I got all this stuff. Where do I connect this with Christmas? Write this line down. I hope it pulls it together. Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's story. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that Israel, God's people, had been going through. It means that Jesus is going to follow the literal pattern of God's people. And Jesus is going to be born in humble beginnings like God's people. And Jesus is going to be whisked off to Egypt like God's people. Jesus is going to be caught in exile with a foreign king like God's people. Jesus is going to make his way to the branch town, the town where God promised to send a shoot, a king, out of the stump to lead God's people to have favor and blessing. And the spirit of the Lord is, is on him. By the way, the spirit of the Lord is in the temple. The Spirit of the Lord is God's presence in God's place. And somehow this is going to happen to a person. And all of this leads to Jesus. Which means when I think of prophecy, and when you think of prophecy leading to Jesus, it's not simply a few random predictions. All of the Bible, all of what God had said and written is leading us to Jesus. So Matthew can bring in Egypt and Rama and Nazareth in ways that, that now begin to make sense because prophecy speaks to the larger story of what God's doing, not just predictions. Now, don't hear me clearly. There are clear predictions, but it's more than that. All of the Bible is pointing us to Jesus because Jesus is the fulfillment of God's story. So we can say it with confidence and integrity that the Bible is just one unified story of God that points us to Jesus. Everything from the beginning, from Genesis all to Revelation, is pointing us to Jesus. Everything in the Bible, there's before Jesus pointing forward, there's the writings after Jesus that are pointing back and how to live in light of him. And this is why Christmas is one chapter in the story. It's a reminder, God saved people in Egypt, but guess what? It wasn't about ancient people being saved. That was leaning to God's biggest salvation. Your salvation is tied to ancient Israel in Egypt being rescued centuries ago was a foretaste of what would happen to us in 2019 in Jesus. And Matthew could point out that Jeremiah says there's this periods of mourning and sorrow. And yes, there are seasons when we are far from God and we feel like we're exiled from God and we feel like there's no hope for us because of what we've done. And you're right, God sees and God knows and God judges. But there's a word of hope. God promised a new covenant with a new heart and that he would write his teaching on your heart. 
and you would know him and walk with him. And guess what? All of that is happening to you right now. In Jesus, you are connected to the Bible story. The Bible is not an ancient story. It's an ancient occurrence of what God is doing now because what he said, he says. And what he says right now, he will say. And what he does, he will do. And what he does today, he will do tomorrow. The story continues. God is rescuing people. And guess what? For 2,000 years, there are people who've come alive to follow Jesus. Since the time of his birth, that rescue wasn't for an ancient people. That rescue has been happening for untold millions. And so the branch of David, that Jesus coming from the branch town, is really about Jesus being a king who brings justice. The world is in chaos. Guess what? It wasn't Jesus' day. But the king has come. And the king is ruling. And the king, if you read the end of the story in the Revelation, you know that the king brings full justice to the whole world and there's peace with God forever and ever. Amen. Because of Christmas. This is one key point in the life of what God is doing to rescue. So let me just ask you the question, what does the advent of Jesus have to do with our life and our rescue, uh, it's that the baby was born to save. And that salvation, real rescue from God, is available to everyone who will listen and live. And so Matthew writes not to give us a geography lesson. He could care less about you connecting the physical dots from Egypt to Rama in the back of your Bible. He, he's not writing for that. He's writing for those of us who feel like we've lost the plot in life. And we found like we've lost our way. And we found like we've lost God or a sense of his closeness. And he's writing to say that the coming of the once for all rescuer, Jesus, is now going to blossom into something huge beyond what you could ever imagine or even think. And so Christmas is about connecting Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, to Revelation the end of the Bible, and it all points to the center of the Bible, Jesus. And by the way, that's your preview of Christmas Eve message. The entire Bible is leading us to follow this once-born Savior. And so I don't know where you are with God, but can I just say to you that the writings, the Bible, the writings were written to encourage you to follow Jesus fully. And if you're here and you feel like, Man, I'm far from God. You're actually not that far because Jesus left his place of glory and walked on the real planet to bring you back. That's the good news. And so this morning, don't let your farness from God keep you from experiencing his love in the here and now. You can follow him and you can follow him today. Your friends can follow him. I, I encourage you, take a risk, invite someone because your friends may be one inch away from entering life with God if you'll just extend the invitation and say, you know what, come along. Christmas music and Christmas candles and uh, a message about God and life. And I encourage you to do that. Wherever we are, uh, Jesus fulfilled everything in the Old Testament to save us. 
And this is good news. That's why we worship him. So I invite you to stand on your feet if you would. And we're going to sing songs of praise to Jesus. We're going to prepare our hearts to take communion. The, the reminding that the end of Matthew, where Jesus goes and is unjustly accused, stands in our place, takes the penalty of our sin, dies and rises again, and then sends out his followers to share this good news. Friend, this is, this is for us. So as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, let's remember God came to rescue. He came to rescue everyone who will listen and receive God's grace and live. And so I, I pray that you would do that. How can you respond? Sing, that's fantastic. Uh, we have a prayer room. It's over if you're new here to the right. You simply walk out the back or the side door and across the hall, there's some friends who wanna pray God's love and God's life into you and over you. And they just wanna to listen to what's on your mind and then go to God with that. That's, uh, why is that possible? Why is that helpful? Because Jesus is risen and he's alive and he, he saves us from all sorts of situations. So I pray that you'll make the most of that. Lord, we thank you that because of Matthew, your servant, we can now connect the dots. And now we see how you're the out of Egypt from Nazarene, Savior of the world. And now, Lord, we worship you, not just because of the places you come from, but where you are now, seated at the right hand of God the Father, even praying and pleading for us. Lord, we want to listen and live. God, help us to listen and live. And as we sing these songs, Lord, I pray that they will come alive and not just be words and lyrics, but be a confession of our need for you, Jesus. And Lord, so for, from wherever we are, from wherever we've been, wherever we're going through, God, we bring these things now to you as acts of worship. And Jesus, we adore you. We adore you. Even though we don't understand, we adore you. Even though we're still learning, we adore you. Even though we feel burdened by the weight of our own guilt and shame, we adore you. And so take this worship, Lord, and purify our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name.